Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. When you are enlightened, you live your life two inches off the ground. Thank you for downloading this episode. Please give me five stars on Apple Podcast. It would help me out so much. And for good karma, especially in the new year, write a review. This is season two, episode five, Druidry with Michael Sebastian. We have an amazing guest today, and he's the perfect start to the new year because he's coming to us from one of the most spiritual places on earth. And as a double bonus, Americans, he has a great accent. You will love this accent. Wait till you hear it. A follower of the Druidic path, Michael Sebastian manages a 17th century sacred grove and lives close to the Georgian city of Bath. England, which still has its own sacred spring and Roman temple runes, and is at the nexus of several major Celtic spiritual sites like Stonehenge, Avebury, and Glastonbury. Michael, you taught me how to say that <laughs> correctly yesterday. <laughs> yes. Because uh, I talked to Michael yesterday and uh, he said I was pronouncing it Avebury and Glastonbury like an American. So how did I do today? Just, just like an American. Um, that was almost like that was almost nine out of ten. You know, I, I'm very impressed. Whoa. So uh, yeah, we we've gone up significantly <laughs> from six and a half yesterday. So uh, well, well done. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll set you on to Bloomsbury next time, or uh, uh, a few other berries because we've got lots of berries around the place. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when I spent time in Australia. The cap of Australia, Americans pronounce it Canberra, but it's actually Canberra. Canberra. That's how Australians pronounce it. Canberra. Absolutely. They go Canberra. Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys are all alike, all alike. <laughs> so um, I have been to all of these places, Bath, Stonehenge, Avebury, Glastonbury. So we're going to be talking about that today a little bit too. So I'm excited to uh, talk about that with Michael. That'll be awesome. Michael hosts a highly popular clubhouse room called The Ancient Ones on Saturdays and is a wordsmith. He has some really beautiful and cool articles on his site. I really just love the way he uses words and I just love his writing. So definitely check out his amazing articles on his website, Symbologian.com. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Jay. It is a an absolute pleasure and it's an honor to be here. And um, it's been a long time coming as well, hasn't it? I've known you a little while through Clubhouse and here we are. And uh, yeah, we've, we've done a few presentations together on Clubhouse, but um, here we are today on Two Inches Off the Ground. I really appreciate you being here, Michael. I'm excited about the subject. You are one of my gems from 2021. As I think my listeners know, 2021 just sucked for me. It was not, it was not a great year, but you were one of the gems that came out of it. So I'm so happy you're here. So let's get started. You ready? I, I am absolutely ready. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's druid, as they say. <laughs> I love it. Michael, in the exceptional article you forwarded me entitled The Druid Renaissance by Lucy Jones, everyone, I'll put it in the show notes, Jones says druids can be anything. For some, it's religion. For others, it's a way of life. Yes, we know the ancient druid, the guy with the long white beard running around Stonehenge. And I really did see that around Stonehenge <laughs> when I was there. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. And of course, what we see in Outlander. Oh, yeah. But druidry has become much more modern. So let's start with what was Druidry historically and what is Druidry today? And by the way, hardest word 
on the planet to pronounce. <laughs> Druidry. Yes, I shall. Uh, uh, it took me about eight weeks, but um, here I am, I think. Uh, the reason that there is no written history is because Druids basically didn't write things down. They weren't like the ancient Egyptians who plastered hieroglyphs all over the walls or, or the Sumerians with um, clay tablets. Druids had a pretty strict oral t tradition to keep things, partly to keep things secret and thereby give them the power, but also to increase uh, another sort of power, the power of memory, and develop that whole side of their abilities. They were very intelligent, almost hyper-intelligent, as we'll see as we go on. Going back to those very early emergences of Druidy stuff, they were likely to have been going on earlier than ancient Egypt. The earliest snippets we've actually got are from about 300 to 400 BCE, and they're from Greeks like Strabo and Roman writers, including Julius Caesar, who met the Druids and had a Druid friend as well. When we have these writings... Then we have something to hang our hats on, as it were, or at least our Druid hoods. From these writings, we can see that the Druids are the Celtic professional class. They're based in northern France and Britain and Ireland. They were the elite, the intellectuals. They're the Ivy League guys, the Oxbridge chaps. I say, I, I say guys. I say the smart guys in the room. But actually, there later on, there are mentions of Druidesses. And it has been speculated that um, you may know the no name Boudicca, the Queen of the Celts, the Scourge of the Romans. Romans could have been a druidess. She did get up to some fairly druidy antics. These were the Renaissance people of their day, the, you know, the real top of the pile. They were the teachers, the philosophers, the natural scientists, uh, judges, negotiators in disputes. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what a Celtic negotiation might actually look like. <laughs> and, uh, not Picking up a rock, putting another rock on another <laughs> rock, and then someone gets pissed off, you know. Absolutely, yes. You're being blessed by my lake. That's my lake. That's not your lake. You know, that, that would be a druid dispute, yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which side? We'll split it down the middle. We'll, we'll drain it. We'll drain it. Um, no, I, 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 think, I think they were a little bit more sophisticated than that. Most of all, they were the seekers of knowledge. Druids were the holders of knowledge. They were the, the conduits, the channels of knowledge. And that was where their power lay. You know, if there was a, if there was a throne to be had, they were the power behind it. They were the, they had the switch. In Ireland, there was a saying that in, in Ulster, no man spoke before the king and the king would not speak before the three druids in the court had spoken. So um, that gives that's amazing. It, it does give us a bit of an idea of um, the kind of clout that these these people had in community and politically. And if a druid threw you out of the assembly, literally you were persona non grata, which is kind of Latin for completely and utterly stuffed. You know, you were uh, life would not be good because nobody would talk to you, nobody would touch you, nobody would uh, uh, you you wouldn't have access to the healers, you wouldn't have support in the community you know these guys carried a lot of implied uh, authority and and power and direct authority and power as well they were quite spiritual that would be an understatement they believed in reincarnation caesar tells us about that it was a core belief big motivator to celtic uh, warriors you know if if you believe you're coming back in another life then um, you know you get killed in battle then 
it's just on to the next round, isn't it? It's kind of uh, kind of like Russell Crowe going, you know, I will have my revenge in this life or the next. You know, it can just come back. That was Gladiator. I watched the first <laughs> 10 minutes. I could not hang. Oh, really? I could not hang with Gladiator. We're, that's funny you mentioned that. My husband and I were just talking about Gladiator a few nights oh. ago. He was like, it's the best movie. I'm like, dude, no. <laughs> The guy movie. It's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of guy, kind of guy movie. Yeah, I, I guess it is. That was the early stages of Druidry. By about the sixth century, um, Christianity came into the arena, as we might say, um, and it was full on. And the the Druids sort of slowly drifted back in um, people's thinking. They themselves were ostracized. You couldn't be a Christian and a Druid. They kind of settled into a, a twilight at that point for about a thousand years. That's that's where it started. Where do you see Druidry today? What are you seeing as a Druid, as a modern Druid? A modern Druid, a Neo-Druid, um, I think uh, some people call them. Um, yeah, um, it went through a renaissance in the uh, 1700s. Uh, people began to put pieces back together. And from about 1969, uh, with the hippie era, you know, so a lot of these ideas were beginning to come to the forefront, you know, these, certainly the natural, the earth stuff. Where is it today? I'd call it a spiritual path, although... It is a philosophical and a practical path to walk, as well as metaphysical. You can approach it intellectually. You can approach it by feel. I would say Druidry is a means of connecting to the earth and to the natural world and to the universe, the, the sky, the moon, stars, the stones, the elements, seasons, you know, all, all living things. Um, and I think think that makes it highly relevant to where we are as a society today, particularly in climate terms, because it brings us to that kind of revelation that we are one with nature and one with the universe. That, that sounds terribly 1969, doesn't it? You know, but uh, 67. But really, we can't be anything else. We, there is no other option. We are not above the natural world. We're not even simply symbiotic with it. We are as one. We are organic with it. Um, it is us. We are it. And today, people have kind of honed what they know and what they guess about Druids into a kind of Druid practice, a sort of modern mystery school. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm currently uh, looking at, uh, that particular online digital course. I have a friend that does mystery school, and I think I understand what it is. But would you mind just giving us a quick definition of mystery school for those who don't know? Okay. Um, yeah. So the the term mystery schools usually usually refers to historically to the ones that were set up in Greek and Roman times, uh, basically as a way of training people, initiates the mystai in um, secret, usually secret arts, things that would be had to be kept away from the eyes of outsiders, uh, people who weren't initiates. The mysteries themselves are basically rituals and rites and usually to venerate some kind of god or goddess like um, Persephone or Mithras. And that knowledge was kept to the initiates. So you were basically in or you're out. You know, there, there was no middle ground, you know, you're either in the school. Um, you got mystery schools of a sort in myths in the Old Testament, um, characters like Samuel, the school of the prophets, wacky ideas uh, going back there in, in, in myth that uh, they selected those who were deemed worthy to carry the, the mantle of the prophets. But training, basic training was endemic to uh, Druidry because bards were trained for 12 years. Um, the other figure that's uh, bandied about historically is for Druids is 20 years of training. So, you know, it's uh, that's all stuff that isn't shared outside of the 
Druidhood, uh, or the Brotherhood, or the the Hood, I guess. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Druids in the Hood. That that's got to be that's got to be the name of the podcast, doesn't it? I love that name of the podcast, and I have a surprise question for you later about something about a podcast, but I'm not going to ask you now. I love that you talk about how we're not symbiotic with the natural world. We are a part. We are entrenched. We are the natural world. So saying that, is there a difference between Druidry and paganism? Um, yes, I think there probably is in that paganism is a bit more of an umbrella term for a lot of different paths and practices, you know, like uh, Wicca, uh, Odinism, New Age, that kind of stuff, arguably Druidry too, Sacred Feminine goddess stuff. Pagan is generally used in a little bit of a derogatory sense, you know, sort of as, you know, you're into false gods and stuff like that. And you wear Black Black Sabbath t-shirts, things like that. Um, Druidry. Oh, Black Sabbath. You just brought me back. <laughs> yeah. Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, oh my God. Absolutely. You remember? Like, yeah. And remember, let's talk about a spiritual renaissance. He went from all the drugs and alcohol and eating bats on stage <laughs> To uh, now, he's actually. I, I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago with his daughter, and apparently, he's really into exercising. That's his jam now. <laughs> he loves to exercise. So, oh, I'm what? like, if there's any spiritual miracle, it's Ozzy Osbourne uh, lifting weights and swimming and doing a freaking boot camp. No, so, no. there you go. Well, that is uh, <laughs> exercising. That, that, that's a step away from exorcising, isn't it? Which uh, <laughs> much more applicable to Black Sabbath. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, so that, that, that's paganism. Druidry is actually a specific path within that, you know, but, but actually, pagan only means in latin it means country dweller it means person of the land you know rustic you know sort of uh person around here people uh, who sound rustic sort of sounds as if they uh, they, uh, they they live on the black pearl you know they all speak like this uh, that's, that's a very rustic way of uh, talking so you could say that anyone has uh, anyone who has a, an affinity with the land and the earth um, and those natural processes wants to get close to it is technically pagan really because they they are one with the land why were you attracted to being a druid what has your druid journey been like thus far okay um well i have to say i probably didn't find it so much as it found me and i must stress to your listeners that i'm probably what you could call a trainer wheels druid at the moment um in that uh i've only been studying it formally for under a year um in terms of a course training wheels yeah druid. that's another good name for a podcast <laughs> or a box absolutely love those little kitty bikes uh you, you must have them over there no 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 we just oh, start they, biking yeah, we, we just we don't we don't mess with that shit absolutely. we don't mess with the, yeah. with the kitty yeah, stuff over here definitely. we have our big suvs and our big bikes <laughs> and our atvs and yeah <laughs> kidding. Believe, we have training the, wheels in the back yeah in the, in the appalachians maybe but uh, in the appalachian or but right on my trails on my uh, property because i'm a pretty big redneck so there you go well what can i say um nothing at all probably is, is the best thing i'm sorry i'm a pagan i'm not a redneck yeah. i'm one with the land <laughs> absolutely yeah we're druid we, we are indeed druid um so um yeah so i, I began to study it but as i I began to study it a little under a year ago. I, I began 
to realize that I had actually been walking it and doing it for about 50 years without actually having a clue what I was doing. And looking back, I could see indicators of this in my life and my work and my writing, and how I said this or why I believe that. That's usually a pretty good indicator of a spiritual path that you should take. So yeah, so how did I get into it? It all started with a patch of land, uh, which is very close to my home in Bath. It's a stretch of land that I've walked regularly over the past 30 years. And I've always found I've had a bit of a, an affinity with the place. Um, the area is quite old. Local village is in the Doomsday Book in 1086. And the land I was walking on was called the Grove before Henry VIII granted the rights in the 1500s. So so the area we're talking about has a lot of spiritual activity attached to it. And I knew that there was some history there and I, I felt that there, I had some history there. So earlier in 2021, I decided to start walking the land barefoot and try and find out what this connection was. You know, it was a bit of a whim. It was kind of an intentional act, but um, didn't know what I was getting into. And looking back, I, I actually think that that was more significant than I thought at the time. So... A couple of weeks into this, here we go then. This is where it gets a little weird. I'm walking past a pine tree and the pine tree is at the end, edge of a copse of trees. And remember, I've walked this land for 30 years. So I've been through here so many times. This is where I, I would stop short of saying the tree told me to be a druid. But as I'm walking past, there's this thud and a pine cone drops from this tree right by my feet. And I've been reading about shamans and medicine walks and finding feathers and animals across your path. So, you know, messages from nature. And I'm thinking, OK, OK, uh, what's going on here? Is anything going on here? And I looked at the tree and I thought I'd really like to put my hands on the trunk of this tree. Um, everything's so overgrown. I had to go through to really push through to the other side. As I push through. I have to say, Jay, it was probably the most Narnia-esque experience that I've ever had in my life. As I walked in, I realized the the right, the pine on my right and its neighbor on my left were like a kind of doorway in a circle of trees. And then there was a second inner circle of trees around a central pine tree. And they they are set exactly two paces apart. So absolutely not natural, no, not in any way, certainly planted that way. And this was actually a grove. This was actually something that was definitely planted by somebody at some point. Um, my grove is, it turns out it's a spiral of trees. And my feeling was that it wasn't just a decorative, like an Inigo Jones bit of landscaping, but my feeling was it had been used with some kind of spiritual intent at some point in the past, but it hadn't for a long time. It could potentially be revitalized. Um, so I'm thinking, Okay, well, how do you dedicate a sacred grove then? How do you make a sacred grove sacred? And who does that kind of thing? And the answer, of course, was must be you. must be druids. Um, hey, better be <laughs> and better you be a druid <laughs> and me. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm thinking I am the most you know I'm I'm the least uh, qualified druid in one sense. You know, I haven't got the faintest clue what I'm doing. You know, I walk along there some days, and I, I think the trees must see me from a distance because they're quite tall and go what the hell is he going to do now what, what is he doing now you know and uh, oh god <laughs> yeah, don't touch me there don't hug me there you know it's uh, 
I, I just <laughs> don't know what I'm doing, but I'm learning what I'm doing. I think they love it. I think they, I think they actually love it. Probably okay, actually. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I'm hamming it up a little bit. But uh, no, I, I, I'm fully intending and I'm learning and I'm preparing the grove by preparing myself, um, establishing an altar there again, meditating, spending time trying to listen writing ritual is a part of it as well this is something i will come to when i've heard from the grove and i know it i feel that's important um and the point of bath is it's healing that was what bath is about and so i feel uh, in terms of a healing arbor there's possibly something there as well but that will be spoilers that's a podcast in in a year's time Michael, you have all this great knowledge. I listened to you on Clubhouse and you're talking about everything here and you're such a wealth of knowledge and the way you present material, it's so professional and well done. And then you have a sense of humor with it. My question is, when are you starting your podcast? Because I've listened to, or I tried to listen to some podcasts on being a Druid and I was highly unimpressed. So, I mean, there's definitely a niche out there. There's a void to fill. So is that something you're thinking about for all the listeners? I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, you are. And um, that that's kind of intuitive because I wasn't thinking about it until possibly about half past 10 this morning. <laughs> <laughs> which was two hours before we started um, started recording. And I was thinking maybe I should. And I started um, I started doing some Googling and let, yeah, let's let's say there, there might just be something in the offing. Um, whether it's specifically druidry or it's uh, different things as well. but um, yeah, com- completely possible. That's all I'd say. <laughs> I think it would be super successful. so I'm, I'm all about it and I would be your first listener. Oh, so right. <laughs> You, you might, there you you might go. be the only one, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you do really well. I think you do really well. So since the start of the pandemic, the largest order of Druids in the UK, the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids, reports that membership has mushroomed. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So we know what a bard is. It's a creative person, right? It comes from that spiritual creativity. We know what a Druid is because you told us, what is an ovate? Okay. Um, well, as you say, there are three, um, you've just mentioned the three specialisms in Druidry. Um, we, we know that's an actual, that's a historic thing because Strabo, the Greek historians, um, called, um, these guys, he divided them into bards, vates, and druids. And the, uh, the ovates are the kind of the metaphysical aspects. These are all, these are all aspects of spirit. Ovates are about healing, divination. Um, ovate it really comes from uh, a word, uh, a Celtic word, weight, um, and a Latin word as well, that means profit. And so they are into divination and then also the her- herb law, the um, natural cycles, that kind of stuff. Probably the closest to Wicca uh, or shamanism. Yeah, and you're absolutely right uh, what you say. You know, basically the bards sing the songs, the ovates pick the mushrooms and uh, probably smoke them, and the druids <laughs> give wise advice uh, and so forth. Um, that's all part of druidry. So you might major in one of those areas or you might take all of those areas on board, depending on what you, uh, how you roll. Do you think as humans we are finally reconnecting with the earth has the pandemic shifted our thinking michael for the better it would be nice to think we have wouldn't it the pandemic has certainly given us time to reflect and consider 
I really fear that human memories kind of are short. Uh, we were supposed to have the war to end all wars in 1918, but even with society still devastated by that war, with parents, fathers off the scene, you know, for years, within 20 years, we're, what are we doing? We're having another. I think people are understanding the need to live more naturally and more in harmony with the planet. But there's a big step between wanting to do that or even understanding how to do that and being prepared to rearrange your life and your lifestyle to facilitate that. I think one of the things we really must do is deconstruct this idea that it is our divine right to consume, that somehow the earth has been laid out on a table for us to eat, dive in, grab what we want, take what we want when we want. You know, I must fly off on this city break weekend. I must have three cars. You know, we need that pipeline across Alaska. We have to keep digging coal in West Virginia. These these are our rights, aren't they? Aren't they? No, in reality, actually, I think you'll find there are very few rights that you have, possibly none at all. All you really have is a lung full of air and one day you won't, you know, and if that doesn't bring us up short, then I, I don't think anything will. Honouring the earth. Um, I happen to believe that the idea of honouring the earth, caring for the environment is actually part and parcel of calling yourself spiritual. It's certainly an integral part of fun fundamental, foundational part of Druidry. Honouring the earth is not just about education, though Druidry does educate you to that to an extent. If it were, then lots of other people would understand it. But it's actually one of revelation, I believe. When you have an awakening, a spiritual awakening to nature, which is, again, key part of Druidry, then environmentalism gets really personal because you realize, like I said, we're not just symbiotic with nature, but we are nature. We're part of one organism. And I think when that door is opened in your heart, uh, then it's a very hard door to shut. In fact, I would say you can't, you can't do it. Once you've walked through that, then you might close yourself off to it for a time, but you know, you know, and you do change your behavior. And spiritual people, you find, don't just talk about being the collective man, you know, like uh, we're the collective. We actually act like we are a collective, a collective of homo sapiens, a collective of human beings. I guess the biggest problem is not the Industrial Revolution or two world wars or consumerism or big oil or China or India mucking around at COP26. The, the problem we face is the human heart and the fact that we continue to destroy ourselves even when we have all the evidence to tell us it's a really stupid thing to do. People need to become awakened, I believe. This is one of the uh, benefits of Druidry. You become awakened and when you become awakened, then you can start speaking with real authority and understanding and you can speak into the, the things that spirit wants you to speak into. And that's when you can begin to convince people. That's when people listen and say, hey, actually, OK, you've just switched the lights on in some way. Well, I haven't, but spirit has. I agree. You have to have spirit and have nature in your life in order to really change your mind and make sure that you have that experience and give that experience to someone else. So for example, I live a couple hours above New York City. They have programs where they bring kids out of the city into nature and it's an experience they've never had. They've never hiked, they've never, you know, they've never done any of it. 
now that you bring these kids out of the city into nature, now they can appreciate yeah. nature. It's not something they see on TV or a video game. It's something that they're like, okay, wow, I've got to really take care of this. This is beautiful. Yeah. So I agree with you, Michael. I think people maybe who come across as not so into the environmental part, I don't think they've had those experiences, you know? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And it's, you know, for kids, you know, you, you mentioned uh, sort of youth coming out, uh, students. Uh, for kids, it's not difficult stuff. It's it's, it's not rocket science. Uh, it's definitely not rocket science. It's natural science. It's, it's very easy to teach. Um, it's Druidry is teachable to the very young. It's teachable to those who struggle educationally. But the beauty of it is it's it also works intellectually, philosophically, or by feel. You know, if you're if you're a, a bit, bit more of a, a right brainer, you know, yeah, it works off the right brain. It also works off the left brain too. There you go. There you go. There you go. It's it's every brain. It's for all your head. <laughs> there you go. The theme of season two of this podcast is vision. As the oldest souls on earth, you, Michael, me, the listeners, humanity needs us to lead. So what you just said was a really nice tie-in. How can we utilize Druid practices to lead and spiritually advance the earth and heal humanity? I know you have mentioned most of them, right? Yeah. But yeah. Anything that comes to mind. At the end of the day, I find it intensely practical. Uh, I'm very much of a view that if spirituality doesn't work in the everyday, you know, on, on the checkout at uh, Walmart, then I'm not really interested. It has to be as alive on the garage forecourt with those who don't understand it as it is in the yoga center with those who do. Um, and otherwise, you know, what's, I, I talk to people, I, I have to laugh. I do talk to people that spend lots of time in clubhouse rooms and lots of time in spiritual circles. It's so easy to do as a spiritual person is to get into um, your own little group, your own little clique with your own little Argo, but that doesn't heal the world. It doesn't actually um, take us out there. And God knows this is more of a time than ever when we need to be out there. We have an answer. It's not the only answer, but it is a plausible, workable, practical answer to some of the things the world is facing. And I think that is how we spiritually advance the earth and lead is really, you know, back again, the same thing, get awakened and get practical uh, and get out there. And you can also have all of the spiritual, you know, experiences and all the uh, the the buzzy, whizzy stuff, the the woo stuff too. That is the tagline of this podcast. Actually, it's where the metaphysical meets the practical. So I live by that. You know, I I agree. We have to have both, or it's never going to work. And Michael, I had talked to you about this before. We live like pioneers in the winter, and my listeners have heard this. Where our main source of heat is wood. And we chop down dead trees. They're dead, right? We chop them down. Well, I don't chop them down. I, I, I act like I chop them down. <laughs> I don't chop them I, down. I believed you. I believed you. <laughs> My husband does and then splits them into firewood. And we have sometimes up to four fires going in this house because of all the wood stoves and fireplaces. On a practical level, it's great because it provides heat. But it's not for everyone because you have a lot of work to do, a lot of physical labor. When it's eight degrees outside, and I'm not lying, it's supposed to be eight degrees, I think, tomorrow night. 
and you have to bring in wood and haul wood in and do that for half an hour, an hour, it's not fun. The spiritual part is we have fires burning in this house all the time, but the practical part is do I want to constantly haul wood in? It's not fun. I don't love it. But at the same time, I do see that we're more connected to the earth doing it. So I agree with what you're saying, Michael. We have to have this metaphysical and this spiritual in a practical way, like what you said at the line at Walmart. It has to infuse into the general population or else we're not winning. That's how I feel when I look at certain pop culture podcasts or maybe shows I've watched in the past and they have healers on and they've had psychics on, I say good for them. Bravo, because this is what we need for the general public to see. So I'm, I'm, I digress now. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell us about your beautiful clubhouse room, which is where we met and please include the day and the time. I will put the information in the show notes. Yeah, the name of the club is The Ancient Ones, and uh, we, we tend to meet Saturdays. At the moment, it's round about uh, 3 Eastern. It does move around a little bit, but um, if you search for uh, The Ancient Ones, you'll you'll find us. What's it about? Well, we, we get into a few things. It came out of the idea that uh, most of us have sort of pretty much taken on board the whole multiple lives idea that we progress and travel as groups through lives. You tend to bump into people that you've been around before. And that's what the room was about, is connecting with old friends and soul family. Also about following the clues back to the point where those lives began. That's part of the theme of the uh, the room, but uh, we, we get to a lot of different things. It's a beautiful room. You speak light language. There's light language blessings. It's just a magical room. So again, that's 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. If you can go in there, go in there. If you're driving, you know, I know Saturdays is a tough day for a lot of people, but if you're driving somewhere, definitely turn it on. You will not be, uh, sorry, it's a great room. Michael, any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, actually, I uh, what I did do is um, I've got a Celtic blessing, a bit of a Druid blessing for you. That's amazing. For listeners, if you'd like, um, uh, it's actually two forged together and uh, they're not very long, but uh, I wanted to give you one of these if, if you'd like. Of course. Beautiful. Thank you. Deep peace to you. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. And may the blessing of the gatherer of hope, the bringer of springtime, the brightener of seasons, be upon you as you set forth today. Laughter of the running hours be yours. And with the leave of lightness, may you come home in joy. So be it. Thank you so much, Michael. That was an absolutely beautiful blessing. Thank you. You're welcome. You can follow Michael at Symbologian on Instagram. Check out his website for his amazing articles on Symbologian.com and get spiritually evolved in his clubhouse room, The Ancient Ones, on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern 
you know all the information and all the links will be in the show notes. So definitely make sure you follow and support Michael. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate you. You are a wealth of information. We're looking forward to your forthcoming podcast, Training Wheels. What is it? Training Wheels Druid, or we thought of another one. Druid's in the hood. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Druid's in the hood. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Did I, who thought that up? Was that you or me? I, I can't remember. That's, uh, no, that trade, was you. Trade. That was all you. <laughs> Um, cool. Um, thank you very much. What can I say? It's it's just an honor to be with you. And um, thank you also to all your listeners for hanging in there today and um, look forward to seeing you again. Until next time. Live your life two inches off the ground. <laughs>